Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Urban Wine Club's cocktail series. Uh, this is a very special and fun segment for us. Uh, joining us with us is my, are my co-hosts, Ari Kalos and hello, Catherine hello. Copeland. Hello. And this is our Hendrix cocktail webinar, where we have a very, very special guest, Eric Anderson, who is the brand ambassador for, for Hendrix Gin. I wanted to invite him to the segment. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure you got a busy schedule, but welcome to the segment. Matilda, it's a pleasure to be with you, uh, as always. Excellent. Thank you. My pleasure. And, you know, even though, you know, we are a identified as a, you know, as a wine club and so forth, we love to explore outside of wine for that matter. You know, we did a great rum session not too long ago. And gin for us is another uh, interesting special subject area that we want to explore. And what better than to have yourself with us. So welcome. And uh, let's make this a very fun segment with our host Ari and Catherine. Yes. Can we uh, can, can we just get a little bit of background because I follow you Eric on social media and man oh man do you look like you have an interesting life and you you just you like you know the old commercial with the most interesting man in the world you're like the next generation of that and just looking at your backdrop everything about you has this like quality of, of like I want to hear what you have to say. Can you give us a little bit of background? Oh, I'm not sure to start. Yeah, I I suppose I um I come from a little bit of an unusual background. So uh, my name is Eric Anderson, ambassador to Hendrix Gin here in the east of the United States. Uh, I've been uh, working with Hendrix Gin now for about seven years. Uh, oh, so eight years now. Um, but doing so from a few different places in the world. Uh, I've been living in Hong Kong and Shanghai for a bit. Um, wow. Lived in London for some time as well back in the days, and a few other places. And the, but my goal has always been to to teach bartenders uh, about cocktails and uh, to teach bartending uh, in general. So I'm delighted to be with you tonight. Uh, that's great. Right. Um, and you are now based in New York. Yes, yes, sir. I so I'm in uh, Brooklyn, New York now. Uh, I um, I was actually up in uh, in Cape Cod last weekend, so I got my dose of Massachusetts there for a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> but haven't been traveling, of course, uh, at all. Uh, for work. Normally, we actually travel about 150 days a year uh, or more for wow. work wow. Uh, with uh, all the uh, uh, all all the events that we're doing. So, so Eric, um, um, let's let's first before we get going, let's talk a little bit about about gin in general because right now there's so many trends going on in the industry. You know, tequila has been hot, mezcal has been hot, um, and I'm starting to see that we're seeing this renaissance of. Um, of classics coming back uh, to the industry. And gin happens to be, in my opinion, uh, one of the true classics of cocktail. Can we touch a little bit about gin in general and kind of discuss the evolution in, in a very short uh, time frame here? Is that possible? Absolutely. Yeah, we can dive in as deep as we want, but we can also hit on the key points on the history of gin. Um, so gin in general if you wish, uh, had it really big glory days, first glory days, I would say, in the sort of late 19th century, where all the kind of the first cocktail books were coming out, and all of which pretty much came from, uh, uh, mainly from the Northeast here in America, 
uh, and some on, from the West Coast as well, but they very much concentrated as an American cocktail culture um, for cocktails that were um, for that classic style. So it would be um, most of these recipes in these old books, they were actually gin based cocktail. So that was a dominating spirit uh, for this kind of modern cocktails uh, at that time. And bartenders were really, really excited to mix with gin. And because if you look at it, gin is a spirit that is takes all of its flavors from the botanicals. So flowers and herbs and spices and, and these things. And all of those things, they kind of represent other ingredients in the bar, like vermouth, like bitters, and uh, like juices and all these things, all right. of those botanicals are kind of part of the gin. So it makes it so mixable. So that's why gin really took off as a very mixable spirit and people just started to uh, love mixing with gin. So when you sense. saw those uh, classic movies of the Roaring Twenties, is that what they were drinking, gin? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so in the 1880s and 1890s, that's where gin really, really took off a big time. Uh, but then, you know, the Nobel experiment uh, between 1919 and 1934, 33, 34, um, gin pretty much hit, hit its, its rock bottom because, really? um, yeah, I mean, it was illegal to drink uh, in the okay. country. Besides, so, uh, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they tried to do something good there. Uh, it kind of failed miserably. But um, uh, that's what, like, the gin uh, that was made in bathtubs during that time wasn't very high quality. But gin came back very strongly. Uh, just after Prohibition, and uh, so with, with classic gin cocktails around that time, like, you know, 30s, 40s, and gin become, became really a cool drink again. And people, um, we're going to make some martinis later on tonight, right. but uh, the martini was really one of the drinks that took off in the 40s and 50s. So back then, how was gin prepared as a cocktail? Well, they... The most, well, there were different ways, actually. Um, I am really passionate about the martinis. I would definitely sing sing the praises of that. But um, there are also like the Gin Ricky that we're going to try a little bit later on. Uh, That's a drink from D.C. from the 1880s, 1890s with gin. So uh, there were like long drinks prepared. There were punches prepared. So you can make a gin punch. There were stirred martinis, classic Negronis. There were a bunch of different drinks, and that's what's so beautiful about gin. It's very mixable. It works in just every shape or form. So, what is your yeah. personal favorite? I mean, I'm a big, big martini favorite myself. Uh, I just can't help it. It's my favorite drink in the world. Um, but I do appreciate and the, the diversity in gin. You can mix it with a lot of things, but also that there are so many different gins out there. Um, there are literally thousands of gins now. And when we started making Hendrix back in '99. Uh, there were only a very few amount of gins, to be honest. So we kind of pioneered that. Mm. Um, but um, but to go go into a little bit why Hendrix is different from from other gins, uh, gin was very much of a constant from uh, you know 1840s, 1850s onward until like the late 90s, only 20 years ago. And mm. nobody made gin really in a different way. It was London dry gin, a very classic way of making gin. So the method of making that gin is to distill the botanicals with neutral alcohol. But after the distillation, you're not allowed to add any flavor components. You can add some neutral alcohol and you can add water, of course, uh, but you can't add any flavor components. Um, When we launched Hendrix in 99, we kind of changed around that a little bit because we added cucumbers and roses into the gin. And when uh, when our distiller, Leslie Gracie, suggested that, 
And like we, we actually can't distill it. We had to add it as an essence. It won't be a London dry gin. Um, and that was going against the norm. Our, uh, the family and William Grant and Son says, we don't care. Just innovate and make the best gin. So that's what they did. And now this has become the norm to actually infuse the gin with the different types of essence. Oh, wow. So it's, and the, the, there are no legal binding definitions in America yet. We're working on it as an industry together. Hmm. But in the EU, they call it distilled gin. So you have London dry gin and distilled. Now, isn't the only um, legally binding thing in America is that it has to have um, at least one juniper berry? Because I, I worked at a distillery before this and, you know, we were starting to dabble in gin. And it was as long as there was at least one juniper berry, it could be considered um, gin. So is that true to your knowledge? Absolutely. It is, it is the legal definition for gin, uh, I would say, in the world. Uh, mm. It has to contain juniper. Yeah. Uh, some will go further and say that the spirit has to have a dominating flavor of juniper, uh, but it becomes quite subjective when we start to go into uh, the dominating flavor and whatnot. But um, uh, for legal terms, it's only one juniper should do it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> which is so funny to me that you only need one juniper berry. But <laughs> is that yeah. more like a, you know like a, a technicality or is that like a real? Well, I think when we when you if we would make jun, uh, gin that doesn't have uh, at least a bit of character or significant character of juniper, uh, you kind of not play in the gin in that category, in that world. So I think that most people try to stay within the realm of gin if they want to put the label gin on there. And you can't do it if you put a ju- one juniper berry in there. Right, It just exactly. doesn't taste of gin. You're not going to get that classic gin flavor, yeah. No, exactly. And not to get too technical, but just to ask before we get into the cocktails, um, isn't there something uh, specific about the actual way that they distill uh, Hendrix gin, the two separate uh, stills, is that still how they... Um... Absolutely. It, it, it's very much a thing. So when we um, uh, we launched Hendrix in 99, but in the 1960s, we purchased two antique stills. Okay. Um, and uh, they operate very differently. So one of these stills um, would produce a very light, floral, and fragrant spirit. Okay. And the other one would produce a very bold, rich, heavy spirit. And those are both gins in and of themselves and they are both very elegant and beautiful in and of themselves but we want to get the best of both worlds together so that's why we use both and then blend the two together afterwards so we make kind of make two different gins and blend them into Hendrix and then infuse it with cucumbers and roses so the process is pretty painstaking to be honest but it does give us a, a tremendously beautiful liquid Absolutely well worth it. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. That's why I love enjoying it with cucumbers, but I will let you take it away for the cocktails. <laughs> yeah, no, there are uh, actual cucumbers in Hendrix gin. Oh. And on my shelf at most. <laughs> <laughs> that was just lying there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah just hanging out there on the shelf. Um, yeah, no, so I think we hit uh, on a lot of points like why Hendrix is different and uh, the world of gin as well. There's so many lovely gins out there now, but I thought I'd make uh, a Hendrix Gin Ricky, but not a classic Gin Ricky, but rather um, a little twist on it. And I call it the Ricky Milano. Oh, and uh, yeah. And uh, so the, the trend I would say globally amongst bartenders is to make, you know, uh, twists on classic cocktails. It's been a, it's been a thing for a very long time. And uh, to really, you know, look at what these classic cocktails meant back in the days and then take your own twist on it. So I poured two parts of Hendrix in my highball glass like this. I'm just going to be half a part of Campari. 
just a little bit. Half a part of simple syrup. You know, simple syrup isn't that hard to make. You have equal parts of uh, sugar and water by volume, and you just um, heat it up gently and let it cool down and make sure that all the sugar is dissolved. And that's your simple syrup. Uh, fresh is always best when it comes to cocktails. So I've got some fresh lime uh, here that I'm pressing a minute. And a good way of knowing how much lime you need. Um, one lime is typically an ounce of juice. But now in the summer, when the limes are really big and juicy, you can get up to one and a half, almost two ounces, if you're lucky, from a lime. Um, mm. But it all depends on seasonality where they're from but right now they're just absolutely lovely and stellar so um, and fresh of course into the drink and so we got two parts Hendrix half a part Campari half a part simple syrup three quarter parts fresh lime juice and then just some sparkling water so refreshing refreshing. absolutely and I've chosen to use a little bit bigger ice cubes in this drink so it sits uh, and it doesn't melt over in the heat here in uh, down in the city and then uh, yeah so i can just take the big ice cubes and just press them down and up and it mixes and then uh, a a wheel of lime in this one um have lime juice in the drink i'll put some lime as a guy wow wow so ricky milano i think i have that recipe actually with me and i can uh, did we post that on our event page, Ari? The, uh, we the did, event? yes. Yeah. And uh, I'll also post it when we post this after the fact. So, oh, you did? Excellent. Yes. Eric, real quickly. Yep. You talked about ice. Ice is a thing as well, right? It's a, mass, it's a big thing. Very yeah, important. And um, um, I, I can't tell you, I can't stress enough that uh, how much more attention we're paying to ice. And why is that? It's really important. Uh, we use typically more ice than we think when we make drinks at home. Uh, if you have those trays in the in the freezer, mm. uh, and if you have like a Boston shaker like this one, uh, and you want to shake one or maybe two drinks, right? You would use the whole tray of ice to shake one or two drinks. And if you want to make have a cocktail party at home, and you want to make maybe two rounds for six people. Uh, that's 12, I mean, it's at least of ice for just 12. What I'm trying to say with this is that we uh, prepare more ice than you think at home. Um, but another thing that I really like to do is that you have those trays or however you produce your ice. And when you've done it, you take them out, put them in Ziploc or Tupperware, close it off, and then reset it. Because ice have a tendency to pick up all those aromas and flavors that are all in the freezer. And unless you have a special free for cocktail ice, um, they're going to soak up everything that's in there. Mm. So, uh, so make the ice and seal them up, seal them off in the freezer. Mm. That's my advice. That's a very um, good point. Yeah. And I noticed you had the larger ice cubes as well. And I prefer those in cocktails because I feel like the drink doesn't get watered down as quick. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And especially in the summer days, like if you have, um, say that you have a cocktail, uh, in, in the garden, of course, responsibly wearing masks, but uh, you're outdoors and you may be serving a big punch. Mm. Um, you can't put ice cubes in that because they melt in 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. They don't. Boom. Then you take a big, big bowl, like quite a big one, mm. uh, filtered or Miller water in the freezer at least 24 hours. 
But then you end up with a massive block of ice. You chuck that in your punch bowl, and that stays for many hours. So that's a good one for social serves and a bit of a bigger, um, bigger serves at home. Awesome. So we yeah. so that was dem- that was demonstration number one. Yeah. And uh, as you prepare for demonstration number two, can we just really uh, touch on a little bit about what makes Hendrix so special? Absolutely. I'm preparing a little uh, lemon slice garnish here. Uh, we we make the gin in a different way, like I touched on, uh, using the two stills and the two different infusions of cucumbers and roses. And Leslie Gracie, our master distiller in Scotland, uh, she created the gin in that way. Yep. That's her like her formula and how her way of making gin. And it's a pioneering way of making gin, to be honest. Um, but still, there are almost no gins that have uh, replicated this method of making it. And it's also made in very small batches. So if you look at the back of the bottle, actually, it's uh, um, listed here on the front on the little beautiful text up here. It's yeah. a small batch handcrafted. So small batch gin means that it is distilled in batches of a 1,000 liters or less Uh so for reference a thousand liters is um, i think it's around 270 gallons 260 gallons uh which is quite a small uh, a small amount definitely um, uh, a small volume and if you have if you're distilling in small volumes you have a very good uh, control over the end product so uh, and that's what leslie is all about she wants to have perfect control of the the gin so she can make the same one mm. over and over again but also make exactly the gin that she wants that's uh, a great example precision of, and consistency that's a great example of hands-on oh yeah absolutely and it, it is very hands-on and it's a small team that uh, she's got uh, four gentlemen working for her uh, at the distillery uh, so they're very very tight team that makes the makes the gin oh. i've i've had the privilege of working in the distillery for one day almost uh all the t- tricks and treats, not, but not to uh, not, to, not to kind of ask about the secrets, but uh, any specific botanicals in Hendrix that makes it special from other gins? I think it would be well the the cucumber and rose infusion apart for the eleven botanicals we use. We okay. use a little bit more flowers than traditional mm-hmm. gins. Okay. Uh, so we have elderflower as yeah. one of the key botanicals, and we also have chamomile. Um, and mm. those bring uh, beautiful floral notes with just faint hints of sweetness in the background. Mm. So those are, um, we're not the only gin that uses other flower, but uh, it's not that many that goes that deep into the flavor. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say we are predominantly floral gin, but there are floral components in the background that helps with the round. Uh, well, if I we, may, too, because this yeah? is floral, not to cut you off. But oh, we'll get to that. In we'll a get to that. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I we should definitely dive that. into that. Yeah. Uh, the midsummer solstice right here. Speaking of floral, I saw you mm. uh, jumping out. Should we make a martini now? Yes, or? absolutely. Uh, yeah, excellent. And as you're you making your martini, I'm having a uh, refreshing Hendrix and tonic. Fever drink. Excellent. Yes, Foti, we're drinking the same thing. Lovely. Excellent. Oh, here we go. Uh, so as was hinted to a little bit earlier, we do have a couple of variants of Hendrix gin out there. The Midsummer Solstice is uh, a really deeply floral gin. And the Hendrix Orbium is a gin that has wormwood, lotus blossom, and chinchona bark. Wow. So the reason why I really like uh, Hendrix Orbium is that it is 
perfect for my favorite drink, the martini. Um, but the reason why it is so good is that it already contains the wormwood. And the key ingredient in vermouth is, of course, wormwood. And it's even the, where wormwood got its name from. So the German word for uh, wormwood is vermouth. And you can kind of take ah. it from there. It's, uh, uh, so that's why uh, it's especially good for, for this drink. Um, I'd like to make my martinis like a 5 to one which translates into two and a half parts of Henrik's Orbium to half a part vermouth. Um, I prefer, because Henrik's Orbium is quite uh, robust and quite a big gin, yep. I would go for a Bianco vermouth. So we um, have a Dolan Blanc here, which is really nice, that works with the Orbium. Um, and if you have Henrik's Original... I could go with Blanc, but also but a dry one as well would work nice, like a dry vermouth. So we're stirring right now. So for our, yeah. so, so for our audience who probably is always wondering, the term shaken, not stirred, and so forth, can you just maybe touch on what does that mean and what is the difference between the both? Absolutely. So we are pretty familiar with the reference where shaken, not stirred comes from. <laughs> it, it's the first James Bond novel, um, Casino Royale. Um, and uh, he was uh, uh, suggesting a cool new way to make a martini. Well, actually, the martini had been shaken a very long time before this, but Ian Fleming, when he wrote the book, he thought it would be cool to to include a shaken martini instead of a stirred one. Um, a stirred martini would... Actually, let me just garnish this with a small piece of lemon oil here. And uh, salute. There we go. So the um, so that's the stirred, uh, the, the shaken martini. But martinis have traditionally always been stirred. And the reason why we stir them is that we don't want to dilute the drink too much. And because it's two clear liquids, like a gin and a vermouth, you don't have to shake them to mix them properly. They mix just fine if you stir them. And uh, some people say, well, you agitate the gin when you shake it. There are a lot of gin drinks that are shaken where the gin is intact still. It doesn't, agitation of the spirit is not really a thing, but uh, you, you retain that, that, the balance and that controlled dilution of the drink, which I think is, is beauty. And it also comes out really nice, uh, just like you can see it's crystal clear like that. Mm. Um, but I would say to control your dilution is the best and most important part of a martini. Um, if you want to make a very dry martini, you might not make, you might not have vermouth at all. Or if you make a very wet martini, you would make maybe 50-50 with gin and vermouth. But in the end of the day, dilution in the martini is super, super important. So you're, you're dealing with martini, uh, with gin on a daily basis. You make many, many, many uh, uh, martinis. Uh, do you ever get sick and tired of people asking you that same question, shaken, not stirred? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it does come. It does come quite a lot uh, in there. But in, in, what, how I like to look at it, and my colleague, uh, Madias Horseman, who is our brand ambassador in Central, based out of Dallas, he, he puts it really nicely when he says, um, I'll have a martini, but uh, make it your way or the bartender's way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be so technical. And when we drink, uh, there are a lot of things that tend to be more and more and more technical. And 
for many people, I think it removes a little bit of the charm of it. The charm of it. Do you, so, do you have a preferred way? I would stir it if it was me. Hmm. Um, but if the, the bartender delivers a shaken martini with a smile, I would never turn it down. <laughs> as long as they're smiling and happy. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I'd rather, much rather have a smile than an amazing drink. <laughs> Spoken like a true uh, person who has worked in the industry before. Yeah, and when I talk to younger bartenders especially, I usually say, I worked in bank bars for almost 20 years now, but I never served a cocktail in my life. <laughs> I've only served guests. Yes. Good so guess. it's, uh, I think that we can get technical about gin. Uh, <laughs> I, I do get technical about gin, but in the end of the day, it's about our guests. It's uh, true. I, it's yeah. a social thing. I have a little uh, suggestion as well for everybody who wants to make martinis at home, but also, but in a larger scale, maybe you want to host a couple of people uh, at home you can prepare a pre-bottled martini in your freezer. Um, and the, the way to do this, I'm actually going to post that in the, in the chat here if you want to. Uh, it's easy to copy-paste. It's very easy to remember as well. But if you take a bottle of Hendrix, and then uh, if, a full bottle of Hendrix, and then you take an empty one, you pour out 10 ounces, and then you pour in 5 ounces of vermouth in here and 5 ounces of water in here, and then you stick this in the freezer. So it still, because of the alcohol content, the martini will not freeze to solid. It will still be liquid in the freezer. Yeah. And uh, you can make and prepare a dozen martinis in only a minute because you can pour it straight from the bottle into the glass and it'll be frozen cold, pre-diluted. Dilution is important, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and you'll look like a rock star. Wow, so you don't have to worry about doing the whole, the classic trick of put ice in the martini glass, let it chill while you're making it. You literally can just take the martini glass, pour it in there, and it's exactly yeah, how you I mean, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you can, you can keep the glasses um, in the freezer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you want to show your martini making skills, maybe it's not for this uh, occasion, mm-hmm. but it's really good if you're hosting a bit larger amount of people. If you're just making martinis for two, you know, I would stir them definitely. Right. But it's quite cool. nice if you want to host a bit more. So, yeah. Eric, do you do house calls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could, I could go for a, a, a hand-delivered uh, martini that you just made. That would be nice. Well, you know what's going on right now, Eric, is uh, in Massachusetts, our governor is allowing uh, restaurants to actually uh, do takeout with cocktails. I think it's from about four or five days ago, right? A week yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah I saw that. I'm very happy. I'm very happy for that. And don't be afraid to go to your favorite Boston bars or wherever you are in the state mm-hmm. and, uh, and ask if they make pre-made cocktails and then uh, order from them. Um, restaurants and bars are struggling some of the most uh, in this time. Absolutely. And they, uh, they need our support like more than ever. 100%. So, 100%. Well, I saw it too. They were doing like the mixes even before they were allowing the cocktails to be made with the alcohol in it. You can even just buy the, the mixes. You know, if you had a favorite Boston uh, bar or restaurant and you liked that one specific cocktail, you could just buy the mix oh. and then add the alcohol to your liking. So, Eric, um, one of our yeah. guests has mentioned that in New York, they've been doing takeout cocktails for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. Yep, they had that, Mr. Goldberg, indeed. Uh, they have, uh, I, I think that they might be stopping it. Um, really? It's so many twists and turns now, so I'm having a problem keeping up, to be honest with you. All right. Um, 
Well, but at least change. I'm happy that you guys are doing it. <laughs> things constantly change. You know, if, if things are good, yeah. you know, they feel a little more comfortable to, to do this and do that. And then things get a little worse. And obviously, you know, we have to be cautious. So then things, and so it, it's a back and forth. I just hope that a lot of our favorite places, you know, survive and, and hopefully everybody out there supports small businesses and small bars, small restaurants. Um, and, you know, Hopefully we'll get through this and, and everybody will still be there serving great stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I think like bar, bars and bartenders are some of the most resilient uh, craftsmen in the world. Uh, I mean, they dug out bars in Pompeji um, in Europe. They, bars have been around for a very long time and bars have survived really, really bad situations. So I think that will be, uh, we'll come back at some point. Um, just have to bear bear with it a bit. Yeah. yeah yeah definitely i mean we gotta we gotta just be patient uh, get creative uh in our own uh, space at home i mean i'm i'm listening to a ton of uh friends family associates who are you know really getting into you know besides cooking at home and now it's all about preparing drinks at home which is great because if it wasn't for this i, I don't think most folks would be exploring the abilities to experiment at home it is true that is very true yeah, yeah. and you it's know like that People could get together. It's summertime. People could get together in small groups, you know, mm-hmm. in light, small ways. And making a nice cocktail, I think, is just like so much fun. Uh, having some a few friends over in a safe way and making a, a nice, refreshing cocktail in the summer, as the ones you demonstrated today, is mm-hmm. the perfect, perfect thing to do. Excellent. I will say I am excited to get back to traveling a bit, though, because, Eric, I saw on your Instagram um, one of the newer Hendrix gins, I believe it's called Amazonia, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, yes. Experimenting yes. with some of the greenhouse botanicals that Leslie has, which I'm very, very curious about. Um, but I am so curious about that gin specifically. I'm not sure if you have other cocktails you want to make, but if you could just touch on that, because um, I know it's only found in airports. Is that correct? Airport. Yeah, the Amazonia is only in airports. It's a, what we call a travel retail exclusive okay. for uh, a bit longer. Uh, it's going to remain that for um, the foreseeable future now. Okay. Uh, we, um, we are going to get it in uh, our domestic markets uh, after a while. Um, but so in 2000, and uh, I believe it was 2013, we sent Leslie Gracie and our uh, global ambassador into the jungles of South America to search for unusual botanicals to make a limited edition gin. That sounds they like an action back. movie, an action movie in the, in the making. <laughs> it, if we had more time, I'll tell you the stories from there because they with the Indians in the jungle for uh, over a week and they were got to, sh- to, to discover that the secret botanicals and they found an amazing botanical called Scorpion Tail. And they infused, uh, a, they made a little distillate of that. And then they infused a small batch of gin that we released to bartenders around the world. So this was around 2013-14. What we wanted to do with Hendrix Amazonia was mm-hmm. to sort of relive that uh, adventure botanical moment of uh, the unusual Hendrix gin and create a gin that is based a little bit more on tropical now. Okay. Wow. So that is uh, what Hendrix Amazonia is. It's a phenomenal gin. Uh, it's kind of where tro- tropical meets gin. Um, wow. And we have been experimenting with a lot of uh, martikis. Oh, so it's my not goodness. A, yeah, like a martini, but with a tiki touch. Oh. Uh, oh, I like that. 
uh, and no, it's a phenomenal gin, and we'll. Uh, uh, you can check our Instagrams out. Uh, I'm on uh, Young Mr. Flanagan and a Hendrix Gin. We, we're doing a lot of uh, uh, like recipe discovery. Well, unfortunately, we are not uh, because we don't have it in the U.S. market yet. We uh, we don't have recipes with it, but HendrixGin.com has a lot of those recipes. Wow. Um, but it's a super cool gin, uh, and once we get can get uh, traveling as we normally do again, uh, it's going to be in the major airport. But until then, we yeah. have Midsummer Solstice out uh, for the rest of this year uh, and my camera is a bit shiny here but um, so, <laughs> Hendrix, so what, what, what makes what makes that different then yeah so the Hendrix Midsummer Solstice was uh, released uh, a year or so ago yeah. and uh, it is Hendrix gin infused with additional floral essence ah. so uh, we have the original Hendrix gin with roses and cucumbers the two different distillates that will never change. But in this one, we have uh, added additional floral essences. Um, uh, which flowers they are, we won't quite tell you. Okay. But think of it not as one single flower, a bouquet of flowers during midsummer. Um, Beautiful. And uh, no, it is a really oh. quite lovely drink. It's, yeah, it's a very specific oh. gin. So, Eric, instead of getting Aria bouquet of flowers, we can get him a bottle of solstice. It's a, yeah, it's exactly the same. <laughs> so, exactly I can sit down the aisle at a wedding eventually, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually created at a wedding or for a wedding. Oh, I read oh, that. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so, my former colleague and global ambassador to Hendrix, Duncan McRae, got married. Um, about four years ago now, I believe, and uh, Leslie created a gin for his wedding, mm. our master distiller. She made bone only about six or eight bottles, um, but here you go. This is your special wedding gin, um, and wow. she based the gin, the botanicals in the gin, on his wife's wedding bouquet. Oh, my goodness. Um, wow. So uh, it was really, really special for that moment. Uh, little did they think, did they know that, you know, there were some... Uh, probably some executives at that uh, and the wedding. And they said, why don't we actually make the gin um, in a larger scale? So they started to, and especially, so Duncan McRae was a big uh, uh, part behind this. And of course, Leslie Gracie, who created the formula for this. Um, and uh, it's out for this entire year. And next year we have a new gin coming for you. Oh, wow. I was going to Can't wait. You. We definitely have to do another segment when that comes Well, up. I was going to say, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm friends with the wrong people because uh, Foti was my best man, and I got a handshake, and that's about it. And these people are getting actual gins made for their weddings. Well, that means you have to get married again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll <laughs> no, remember anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm so glad to know, though, that next year is when they'll stop um, producing it or finding it on the shelves because I have a backup bottle well, right here. That Catherine. I have not opened for that this means, specifically because I don't know when means, it will stop. That means, Catherine, you got to buy a lot and stock up before it yeah. stops. I'm a, yeah, I'm going to buy a case the next time I see it because oh. I do not want to run out of this. <laughs> so, Eric, speaking of that, for our listening audience and our guests who have joined us, you know, you can, uh, if you're, you've been intrigued and interested, you know, you can definitely visit our, our website at Urban Club or in urbanwineclub.co. We have Hendrix available in our shopping cart for purchase, and we do deliver and ship for those that are interested in what's going on in this segment. And I suggest yeah. totally get it because it's so good. It really is. I, I mean, I, I, this is my, I know it would be behind the scenes, but 
I'm going on number two. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if, if what this so is number good. two, that really means number six, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a 20-ounce cup, just so you know. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> it's close to the camera. Right? It's, it's a big martini. Yeah. <laughs> why don't we? Uh, yeah. Why don't we take the opportunity now and open up our segment uh, to our guests who would love to ask any questions for you, Eric? That's uh, derived for Jin Hendrix and so forth. Uh, Ari, why don't we uh, take this moment and the opportunity to open the uh, the lines, sure. the digital lines, to question? Sure, I, I have a few questions here. One came in like when we were when we were talking about the the James Bond segment, and somebody asked. I think it's Vicky. She asked, why does James Bond like it shaken? I don't know if there's a real answer to that since he's a fictional character, but if you know anything... Why would you say he's fictional? Exactly. <laughs> but you mm. wish you were James Bond. <laughs> Be real. Um, no, it is more, maybe rather how uh, Ian Fleming wanted it that, as he was writing the book in, in Mayfair. Um, I, I think that he was out for something that was unique, something out of the ordinary, and something that was a little bit pioneering and daring. Yeah, that's, maybe a, that's, that's a good writing reason. point. That's a good writing style, a good writing uh, way to do it. So it makes sense. Good uh, answer. Good I, answer. I, I, if you're in London, there's the Duke's Hotel um, where he allegedly came up with a drink together with a bar team there, the bar, bartender. Uh, it's a hotel just off Mayfair in, in, in London. Well, one, one of our that. guests, Eric, just made a uh, comment that he didn't want it poisoned. Want it poison. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that was the actual case, but it That's probably makes for an amazing story. <laughs> uh, well, there were some uh, um, champagne producers, uh, allegedly. I'm not sure this yeah. is actually true, but they would make a clear bottle so they could they could see if somebody poured some in it. Interesting. Uh, um, but yeah, the, but the beauty of our industry is just that um, um, it's just that um, we uh, there are so many stories around it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I have a few more questions. And let's see, Jin, does Jin go off? Does it have a shelf life? Is it is it is there a certain amount of time you have to drink it? Or it doesn't really go off. Um, you can keep it for years. Absolutely. Um, Hendrix Gin is stored, uh, is stored in black glass or gla black uh, glass bottles uh, to protect it from sunlight. Uh -huh. um, traditionally, um, um, sort of like medicines and then herbal essences would be kept in black glass to protect them from sunlight. Um, gin, however, it's distilled really well these days, so uh, it's, it's pretty okay. Um, so if you open it, it, it's fine. You can keep it for quite a while. Interesting. And I just want to make a point that if you have a bottle of Hendrix gin for years, it's just sad. So drink your Hendrix gin. Um, Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's your reserve stash. Then. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. All right. This is, this is an odd question. Uh, I don't know if there's any science to it, but can gin help you lose weight? Hmm. We, wouldn't, um, we wouldn't say that there are any health benefits with drinking alcohol at all. So yeah. I wouldn't go in there. Uh, this, I, I think, I don't know, from, from what I've read, I don't know if it's true or not, because I just don't know, but it said something about uh, there's something in gin that would help speed up a metabolism, but again, these are things that I... There's only one way to find out. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go on an all no. gym diet. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we really don't recommend going on an all gym diet. Um, we, um, flowers. no, but, um, because gin has botanicals in it, uh, yeah. some of the botanicals have been traditionally used as medicinal herbs. Mm. That being said, yeah. uh, gin is not a medicine and gin is not, uh, um, something that would be even considered a, a medicine, but uh, the, the links can be made like that. But we would never say, definitely say that gin is not uh, a medicine. <laughs> I got a question that just came in. Yep. Uh, why are gins? Why do gins typically have a higher alcohol content than other spirits? Higher alcohol content? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I guess um, I'm assuming typically uh, gins seem to be at a higher level of alcohol content than other spirits? Is there a reason why, or is it just? Well, yeah, there are a few reasons. Uh, it's a great question, and it goes into what the liquid is about. Yeah. Um, so um, compared to white spirits, uh, gin is, a, is at a higher alcohol content, absolutely. Mm. Uh, when we look at uh, whiskey, and particularly uh, American whiskey and bourbon, mm-hmm. um, they are... they sometimes go up higher, uh, they go high as well, and even higher than gin. But when it, when we look at just white spirits uh, for now, yes. the reason that gin is a bit higher than, let's say, vodka or tequila, yeah. uh, and the white rum, rum is around 80 proof, um, is that what we want to do is that we want to carry the flavor of the botanicals through. Um, uh, so that that's the most important thing. And, um, the, the botanicals are really coming to life at around after 84, 86 proof and like really blossoming in that like quite narrow spectrum up to, you know, a little bit higher than that. And that's all up to the master distiller to see like where the gin is at its peak when it comes to releasing its flavor. Hmm. But gin is uh, peaks a little bit higher, if you wish, than, than vodka or, or tequila. And tequila has... I mean, legally, uh, should not be made over 80 proof anyway. And really? in okay. Mexico, it's even lower. Um, but it's not my, my, my uh, specialty to talk about agave spirits. But uh, uh, mezcal goes a bit higher. But um, for tequila, uh, it is uh, a very robust spirit anyway. So the flavor is very concentrated and you can taste agave in there. But when it comes to gin, yeah. you really don't taste anything of the raw material the alcohol is made. Uh-huh. So the only thing we taste in gin are the botanicals, yeah. um, which means that uh, we, it's the only spirit, by the way, that doesn't have any flavor of the raw material the alcohol is made. You know, like whiskey has, you know, whatever whiskey you make whiskey from, corn, rye, barley, right. it has character from that grain. Tequila has character from agave, the rum has character from sugar cane, etc. But gin has the flavor from the botanicals where we, which we fill with neutral alcohol. But the alcohol in itself is neutral. I see. Okay. Ari, any other questions? uh, Yeah, I don't know if this is, uh, if there's a one answer to this or if there's like waves, but when did gin become popular? Now, is that, I don't know if that means like in in modern times, because I know gin has a history. I would think modern times. Yeah. Yeah, I think gin has peaked uh, at least twice. Um, and the second time, the last time now is uh, the last decade, maybe 15 years. Yeah. Uh, so Hendrix was quite early in the like, 99 to come out. Uh, but we weren't like 
it wasn't a global gin in 1990. It launched in a couple of bars here in the, the northeast of America. It wasn't anywhere else in the world. It took over three years for Hendrix Gin to be launched in its home country. Uh-huh. So it was tiny back then. Uh, but if you look, like where gin started to really, really come into life, I would say from 2005 onward, it's really started to gain momentum. 2010, we saw it was a global movement. And 15 and now 20, there are seven or 8,000 gins in the world. Wow. wow. Um, what, if you know this, what country or countries drink the most gin? Yeah, it's a funny answer to that one, actually. Um, Aside from his uh, house, specifically. <laughs> Apart from that, um, the, so we, um, I haven't looked at the last couple of years data for globally, but uh, before that, it used to be uh, not very uh, many people expected, but it's the Philippines. Wow. Really? Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought you would have uh, said, like, they, Scotland. <laughs> yeah, but Scotland has a population of... But, Five million or something. Um, uh, it's significantly less than ten. Yeah. And Philippines are now a bit over a hundred, I think. Uh, oh. So per per capita, uh, they do drink a lot of uh, of gin in the Philippines. Now and is they that don't, is it, they only have rum and gin basically? Is that is that like because of like like marketing or tactics, or is that because just the Filipino people kind of gravitate towards it? Um, they have a distillery. Um, that makes a lot of uh, local spirits, so both rum, predominantly rum, to be honest, and uh, and gin. Um, and that distillery, because it's local, uh, and the price for a bottle of that gin is it's very low, uh, so the volumes can be allowed to be very, very big there. Um, but I would say, I, I would assume the United States is number two, um, and England and, you know, UK in general, because, but they are six times smaller, like a population almost, so, or five at least. I got a question for someone that came in. Uh, I keep my bottle of Hendrix in the freezer. Is that good or bad? <laughs> if you, that's, it's nothing wrong with that at all. Okay. Uh, it's, it's really good to, like, gin, the gin should be cold, but the piano should be hot. Oh, that's one of my favorite quotes from the musical Chicago. I like um, But if the, it's great to make martinis with a really, really cold gin to start off with. Um, it doesn't need, but yeah, I mean, if, if you, it, there's nothing wrong with it, and if you like it that cold, absolutely. All right, so I would keep it between the freezer and the fridge. We need to buy a freezer just for our spirits. Sure. All right, great. Absolutely. What else you got, Ari? All right, let me scroll through here. Uh, let me see, is there anything else? Do, do, do. Catherine? I just have more of a comment, I guess, than a question. Um, I mean, so I came from a, a craft distillery before this. Um, and, you know, there's, it's hard to get a craft distillery, you know, really up and running nationwide. And, um, but the way you talk about Hendrix and how small the team is, the way that they make it, it's still so similar to just craft distilleries in general. But you guys are, you know, internationally renowned and you're such a big brand so i just i love hearing the way that you talk about the way that the team uh of distillers actually you know they really take a lot of care into the way that they distill it um i just i love hearing that craft side of it because you guys have done so well um just marketing wise um placement wise so i i just love to hear your um your side of that story so well thank said, you well said, yeah. thank you Catherine. No, it's a it's a beautiful we we used to make uh, Hendrix in a very, very tiny part of the distillery in Gervan, um, in that southwest corner of Scotland. 
Um, and we built a gin palace now. It was mainly for Leslie, so she could have a fancy workplace because we love her dearly. Yeah. Uh, but also to kind of hero a little bit what we do. But uh, it is it was not very it was inconspicuous like up to three years ago. Um, so it was still made in that very small mindset. Yeah. So Eric, uh, I have a question. Whenever the travel bans are done, we go back to quote unquote being normal again. Does the distillery offer tours and visits and so forth? The, is that possible? We're not open to visitors yet. Yes. Uh, we weren't open before the distillery event, unfortunately. Um, we are still uh, kind of figuring out how we uh, have a, a visitor tour there. So we have uh, at the William Grant and Sons, we are a family-owned Scottish company, and we have we are distilling spirits at two sites. So the family home is up in Dufftown in the heart of Speyside, where we make uh, Glenfiddich, the Balvini, and other single malts. Wow. And the Hendrix is made in the southwest corner, just south of Glasgow, where we make Hendrix gin, uh, Grant's whiskey, and uh, a bunch of other innovative spirits. So uh, the site up in Dufftown, in Speyside, is one of the most beautiful visitor centers in uh, the whole of uh, Whiskey Scotland. Um, but the one that we make Hendrix in, it's still not really... Uh, we're not quite there yet, and we want okay. to do it uh, perfectly. Uh-huh. Excellent, excellent. Um, what's your preferred way, or not preferred way, what's your preferred temperature? Room temperature, cold? Or gin in general? For, for on its own. Yeah, I guess this is directed towards you. And what's your favorite uh, temperature to enjoy gin? Ah. So, like Foti said before, I'm assuming, now I'm speaking on behalf of the question asker, but Foti said before, somebody said they keep theirs in the freezer. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, when you're going to kick back and relax and, and make a gin uh, cocktail, what is, uh, what is that preferred method? I think, um, depending on which cocktail to make, of course, but I want to aim, if I make a cocktail, to uh, as low temperature as I can. And that's why it's never wrong to have the freezer as long as you know how long to stir martinis and get the proper dilution. Yeah. I think the end temperature in a drink is a result of what you have done, but aim at as low as possible is always good. Uh, when I'm sipping gin for gin tastings, etc., it's room temperature or just below. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, this is a no. This is an odd question. Is all gin clear? Uh, it's clear. Yeah, all gins are clear. Very few gins are aged uh, for short time, uh, or it's not really aged per se. They're rested rather, um, um, because gin is distilled from a neutral grain spirit. The, the neutral grain spirit doesn't age particularly well because you're aging ethanol. Whilst if you're aging whiskey. Uh, you're aging uh, a little bit bigger array of types of alcohols and other congeners, which builds the flavor in the whiskey. And that's why whiskey kind of matures and becomes better with age. Uh, But gin, the base spirit you're aging is just ethanol. So uh, technically you're only aging botanicals. And that's why most people don't really age gin. Uh, But there are some some who do and uh, some that are pretty decent. Wow, interesting. All right, I think that is 
it. I have some more, but they're just repeats. So yeah, well, I think that's sorry, it. Sorry, there's just one more question before we sign off. Juniper uh, berries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I'm, I got the chat up here actually. Uh, yeah, so uh, sourcing botanicals is a really, really important thing for a gin buyer, and uh, we get sent uh, hundreds in total of dozen of uh, of uh, gins, uh, juniper samples every year to see like these juniper berries and whatnot. Um, that being said, we won't choose juniper berries based on geographic location. Leslie believes in choosing juniper berries 100% only on the quality and the oil content. So they typically tend to come from the same places in Central Europe, uh, but they, it can be. So we, um, so we won't like specify exactly where they come from uh, because it, it does vary slightly. But her philosophy is just she wants the best juniper and hard botanicals do differ. They change year to year. Tuscany had a, a terrible earthquake some time ago and the juniper just wasn't the same after that. And then, you know, if you paint yourself back into a corner, you say you only use Tuscan juniper because they were the best before that. Uh, what are you going to do then? So the reason why we do that is that we ju- she just wants the best and she's the boss. Uh, so if they might come from a different country sometimes, so be it. It's not really our focus. Uh, the beauty of gin, I think, uh, just to cover a little short on this, is that we have botanicals from four continents here. Wow. So it's truly a global spirit when it comes to what flavors are in. And most other spirits categories, at least, are geospecific. I mean, cognac, small part of France. Tequila, only some regions in Mexico. Bourbon, only in America, etc., etc. Mm. Gin has flavor from all over the world. And that's one of the beautiful things. Awesome. awesome. Beautiful wow. indeed. Mm-hmm. Awesome. This is, all, this is all great. I mean, I, you know, I've been drinking gin off and on for many years. And I think uh, in the last 45, 50 minutes, I've learned more than I have in the 25 years of drinking gin. <laughs> <laughs> we should do this more often, Futi. This is amazing, Futi. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we should not have to j- wait for next year for the new variant, I think. No, no. But, well, <laughs> having said that, Eric, uh, we're definitely going to have you back on. Uh, if, as a repeat guest, as uh, as joining us for other segments. But uh, before we actually do sign off, can you just uh, let us know again any type of uh, social media handles? I know you mentioned them, uh, web addresses, things that you can let our, our listening audience know to get more information about Hendrix Gin, besides the fact that they can purchase it on urbanwineclub.co. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to, to let our audience know other... And we'll, we'll also post all your... Uh all your web links and social media handles uh, everywhere we Thank post you. this webinar. Yeah. So um, of course, HendrixGin.com has a ton of recipes and uh, much more information on the specific gins that we make. Um, and if you want to follow me at young Mr. Flanagan, uh, which and is where, where did where that quickly, name come from? from? <laughs> <laughs> so my mentor back in the days when I started bartending, uh, Mr. Hans Biel back in Sweden, um, he was referencing the movie Cocktail, and uh, um, Tom Cruise's character is Brian Flanagan. So um, <laughs> I became young Mr. Flanagan. I love it. <laughs> Stuck with me for a little bit. Yeah. It's my Instagram or my Ginstagram, if you will. Really. <laughs> um, wow. But wow. uh, you can do that. Um, and of course, uh, you, we have um, Hendrix Gin on Instagram as well, uh, which is good. And we are also coming out with our US Instagram uh, next year. So, but so have a look for that uh, when that comes up. Uh, okay. But also, uh, 
like thank you everyone for joining uh, the Zoom. Uh, it's been amazing. Thank you so much, uh, you guys, for, for hosting it, all, of, all the three of you, and Urban Wine Club for, for uh, holding it. And a big shout out. I heard there were uh, some people turning in from Greece. Almost. Yes. <laughs> uh, we want to say, one, of our, one of our dear friends, Urania, who's uh, in Athens at the moment. So it's, it's got to be like 3 a.m. at the moment. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, still, she's still on and she's still going. But, Good uh, love it. <laughs> but, uh, there's uh, this amazing bar down there um, called the Clumsies in Athens. I hope they're still up and going. And the Clumsies? Yeah, I was that was named after Fati. You know that, right? <laughs> I knew that was coming. When <laughs> you said that. How appropriate. I knew How it. Appropriate. Well, How I was saying, I was saying to Eric earlier before we signed on, uh, not to blow his head up, but like he's built a little bit of a following on our social media, so we have to have him back again. Actually, <laughs> we did. Uh, let me. Where is this? Let me. Uh, we, you know, we use this picture here. Ah. Uh. And you know. We're getting all sorts of people that are just constantly like, oh, who is this? And where is he from? And what's he doing? So, Eric, you got to come back. You got to join us. Uh, you have to make it a regular thing. <laughs> we'll make it happen truly, real soon again. He's truly the most interesting man in the gin world. <laughs> Absolutely. And it gives us an excuse to drink great gin. So, fine by me. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Eric. We greatly appreciate it. This was more than just a treat for us here at the Urban Wine Club. Yes, thank uh, you. So much. To our listening audience, thank you so much for joining us. Please continue to stay tuned for all of our upcoming events, uh, urbanwineclub.co, all of our handles and so forth. And uh, we're going to post all of uh, Eric's social handles, but honestly, check them out. He really, he posts some really cool stuff, interesting video clips, uh, recipes. It, it's just, I enjoy looking at it like, it, it, it's, I'm not stalking you, Eric, but like it, it's a great thing to uh, follow him. Follow him. Yes. Awesome. Thank, thank you very much, everybody. And yeah. thank you, my host, as well. Thanks, Take everybody, care. for tuning in. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Fati. Thank you very thank much, you. Eric. Enjoy Thanks for all our nights. viewers. And uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers, Andri everyone. Hendrick. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.